Hey, welcome to the Backyard Professor videos on a Thursday night. I have a really good guest tonight, Dr. Simon Southerton, a well-known and well-respected DNA scientist expert who is going to talk to us about the horse bones that have been discovered that shows the Book of Mormon is authentic history according to the Mormon apologists. So let's get this show on the road. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining me on a Thursday night. Uh, I have Simon Southerton on backstage. I'm going to bring him on in just a moment. Let me just say first that my philosophy has become that we attempt in learning how to think of getting to the actual source. And Dr. Southerton was very kind this week earlier. He posted a message on the new evidence for horse bones potentially confirming the Book of Mormon because they have been found in the right place and they do date to the correct time, according to a lot of social media out there. So I have invited Dr. Simon Southerton to come and share his views with us. So let's give a warm round of applause and welcome, even though we won't hear it, to Dr. Simon Southerton. Dr. Southerton, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? Very good, Karen. How are you? It's good to be with you. I'm doing good. Uh, I have really gotten some exciting phone calls and emails that you're on tonight because this, this apologetic effort from the Mormon scholars to deal with this true anomaly in the Book of Mormon with, with horses. Uh, we are well aware at this stage, any of us who have looked at this subject, that the mockery has become that because the Mormon scholars have suggested tapirs, and uh, you, you've seen the cartoons with Dan Peterson writing on tapirs. It's really something else. But uh, you, have, you have shared with us a new find a new discovery and so why don't you why don't you start telling us about that and about your reaction to these horse bones that have been dated into book of mormon times now by the mormon scholars yeah well i think it's uh i think the paper was only published just this last week and it's gone from from a publication in the scientific journal straight into tiktok within almost a nanosecond it's almost like the senior author of this paper 
um, was talking to the people at uh, Book of Mormon Central. Uh, and in fact, I think there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's family connections, I think, or certainly strong connections through the Book of Mormon Central. Um, so it is a bit alarming that it's gone straight into social media and it's just been uh, touted as the most amazing discovery. Um, and it's all settled now. We've now got Book of Mormon. Uh, we've now got uh, horses in the um, in the Book of Mormon period. Now, in one week. <laughs> in one week. Now, well, there's been, you know, Wade Miller. The, it, it's um, Wade Miller, the first author of this paper. He's a well-known horse apologist. He's been writing apologetics um, for over ten years. So you can, you can find some of his books and uh, journal articles in the past where he's. You know, talked about, oh, there's a bit of evidence here. This might, you know, this might be horses and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you can always get the odd radiocarbon date on a, um, on a sample, but the, the underlying problem that most serious scientists have to deal with is if horses survived through to a couple of thousand years ago, mm-hmm. And the only way they would have survived would have been if people had domesticated them. Because if they were eating horses the whole time, 10,000 years of the, I mean, if they exterminated dozens and dozens of species, what is it about horses that makes them any special? Um, so, you know, special and avoided that extinction event. Um, and there's just abundant, abundant evidence in many, many archaeological sites of horse bones, mammoth bones, camel bones, a whole range of extinct species, those bones associating with the uh, lithic stone points of the, uh, the, particularly the COVID culture, which was all over North America and Mexico um, 13,000 years ago. So these were highly skilled hunters and uh, so a very high proportion of the megafauna, the very large animals, um, yeah. which a lot of them had no fear of humans, and so they just walked. And the same sort of thing happened in New Zealand when the Maoris arrived there with the big flightless birds, the moas. They just walk up to them and kill them because they would just had no fear of humans. So, so a lot of these animals were, and many of them could have been domesticated, but it was just they they ate them instead, and so and not surprisingly. Um, and so many of animals went into extinction. Climate change was also occurring, so that probably um, was a major contributor as well. But certainly there's no there's abundant evidence of, you know, sites where many of these animals and their bones were found buried um, alongside the spear points. Yeah. The spear points are from Paleolithic hunters, and that's, you know, tend to... So the animal bones are found. Yeah. They're really old. Yeah, they're really old. So, yeah, yeah. so, so the problem is, if you've got, how on earth can these and most of these animals, these megafauna, uh, became extinct over ten thousand years ago. Many of them, about twelve thousand years ago, they became extinct. Now, how does how do horses survive ten thousand years without being domesticated when there is food source? Um, it just absolutely makes no sense. And it, most of the evidence aligns perfectly with the, the conclusion that most uh, 
leading scientists have drawn, and that is that they, along with many of the other species, were um, extinct about 10 to 12,000 years ago. Now, as you know, there are other big animals, and I was just looking, reading about this last night. Um, for example, bison or buffalo. They didn't become extinct. They survived. And what, they think that one of the reasons was that they just they go around in large herds. And it's very, very... Oh, that's hard, interesting. Yeah. Pretty yeah. hard to sort of kill them. I mean, they did... I know that they did herd them off uh, cliff faces, um, and there yeah. were sort of mass uh, slaughters, but... Um, that would have been a very inefficient way to hunt, and I suspect they probably would have figured, well, we're not going to have much food left if we kill them all in one foul swoop. So right. but, um, yeah, the fact that they were in large herds on the plains made it difficult to uh, just wipe them out. And there yeah. are many other animal species that when they, their survival strategy, and particularly in the fish, would be in, in the sea with big schools of fish. You see a, you know, a killer whale going through and chomping up a whole pile of the fish, but um, 99% or 90% of them survived. So that's a, I think that's how they survived. But, you know, horses, I don't see them in, imagine that they would have been surviving in massive herds. Um, I think, uh, yeah, they would have been easy to, to hunt. And they did. So, so, you know, we've got a paradigm here. And the paradigm is, and the, 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 the amount of evidence supporting the conclusion that they became extinct about ten to 12,000 years ago is, is considerable. It's an, a very large amount of evidence. So if you're going to overturn that paradigm, you're going to have to have some pretty compelling evidence, and this paper does not present compelling evidence. Um, yeah, and fact and is, yet they want to make the paradigm change. They said so yeah. in that paper. That was, that was yeah. kind of interesting. Well, so. I've never heard of the Texas Journal of Science. It's probably a good journal. It probably publishes some good stuff. But if you're going to publish uh, paleontological research or archaeological research, why not submit it to an archaeological journal? Put um, it in Nature. Because you <laughs> you go oh, if if it was if these were robust da dates and they say they had collagen, or they were yeah. some other method. I don't. I'm not aware of. But um, there are other dating methods. Um, when when you mention collagens, Simon, collagen. uh, what do you mean? Explain that so that our audience can understand what that, why that would have been so much better to get the collagen. Well, collagen, yeah, collagen is a protein that's found in bones, and there are very sophisticated uh, and straightforward chemical tests and procedures you can follow to isolate collagen from the from the, uh, um, the ancient material. So when you do that, after you've got the collagen, you can then do a, um, an analysis of the, the amino acid content of the collagen. And that will tell you how good quality the collagen is. Okay. And if the collagen's good quality and you've got a pile of amino acids there, then there is no other source other than a living animal that that mm -hmm. can come from. Okay, you don't collagen doesn't just spontaneously occur in bones. So that collagen, if you can isolate it from the bones, must have come from the horse or or the deceased animal. And so then you can collagen contains carbon. Okay, it's a carbon-containing molecule, so it's got the same carbon that was um, captured by the horse when it was alive or the animal when it was alive. 
Oh, there's the connection then, right? And then you can yeah. carbon date. You can carbon date the collagen. So you've got right. that's why they call it the gold standard. Now, if they had had collagen dates, um, that would have been yeah, that would have been straight to Nature or straight to some other journal, but they didn't. So why didn't they? What did they do to try to get those dates? I mean, he, he they mentioned, I, I copied off this article from a Book of Mormon Central, and they, he's actually, and this, I believe this is by the, yeah, the, the team on yeah. Wade Miller's article, and they said that not only did some of their dating uh, give us uh, a justified, well, or realistic uh, basis time-wise with the Jaredite horses, but also with the Nephite horses. They, yeah. they said there's there's every horse mentioned, no matter what time in the Book of Mormon, is confirmed with their dating of this incredible find in Mexico. Yeah. So address address that, would you? That's interesting. Well, while I'm thinking of it, the, the fact that they found in Mexico does not help out tremendously when uh, the Book of Mormon was located in uh, Mesoamerica, down in the Mayan civilization. Well, that's so close. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, um, I've forgotten your question. <laughs> um, tell tell us why why uh, why they didn't get Colligan. What they did to get their dating, yeah. because they're saying this confirms every single time differential. In the yeah. Book of Mormon, it doesn't matter whether we look at the Jaredites, the Nephites, whatever. We've got confirmation now. Yeah, well, thankfully so they didn't. Dating? Yeah, yeah. Thankfully they didn't make those conclusions in the paper. Um, they didn't, did they? Yeah, yeah. That was straight on the Mormon apology. I'm not accusing them of anything fraudulent. And what they did was actually not uncommon. If you can't date the sample, it's. Uh, the, uh, you can date things that are adjacent to it, okay? So stratigraphy. Oh, okay. So things that are buried in the same layer um, uh -huh. can sometimes be dated. Now, this is where it gets a little bit complicated because the... That's, um, that's their chart on the... Yeah, they they chart put, it's in the Book of Mormon Central, and it's in the Texas article also uh, of yeah. the depths of where they were finding the... the uh, yeah the horse bones and the stuff like that. And this is only just 21, 21. It wasn't real deep, but okay. yeah. That, I, I can't, I actually, I've got the paper on my computer. I could. 20 I centimeters. Remember. They say 20 centimeters. Yeah, I, I think it's the depth of that profile is probably, well, it's about um, seven meters, I think. Seven meters. No, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Four meters, five meters. Um, maybe maybe they're saying that particular size represents 20 centimeters. Yeah, they did talk about seven yeah. meters. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. The profile, they might be about five meters deep. Uh -huh. Now, there are problems. Um, so if you can't date the – so why didn't they date the bones? They didn't date the bones because they couldn't get collagen. This is for the, for the, uh, for the New World horses, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. They did find horses in the profile, so the the um, Spanish horses. Yep, and they could they get could. collagen out of those. Um, but they dug a bit deeper, and then they couldn't get collagen from any of the other samples below. Now, I would argue that's probably because they're ten thousand years old, and they don't have any collagen left. However, really, that aside for the moment, um, 
if you can't get collagen, then you date um, carbon-containing material adjacent in the same stratigraphic layer. And that's oh. a fairly well-accepted tech, um, technique, but it's not always, it doesn't, isn't suitable in certain environments. And I suspect that one of those environments is in this particular soil. Um, because what happens, soil builds up um, roughly about, you know, a metre or so. It's very variable, but, you know, say every couple of thousand years, um, dust and dirt, whether it's from, from rivers or rain or or from sure. the wind, will accumulate sure. at the site and so it builds up. So, so the, the deeper you dig down, the older the material is. Um, but one of the complications with dating samples in the upper metre or two of soil is that you've got a constant source of young carbon dioxide dissolved in rainwater that percolates okay. down through the soil, okay? So if you've got a fairly dry location like this is, I think, in Mexico, <clears throat> then what happens is you get a big rain event, the rain flows down the profile, it might go down a metre or a metre and a half. Right. And then evaporation at the surface um, will stop the water from moving down. Yep. And it will the There's the dry area that it was found. That's the valley that yeah. the picture shows. So you can see it's pretty doggone bone dry. Yeah. So I think I suspect it's a dry area. So what happens in those sorts of environments is that the the cal the, sorry the carbon from carbon dioxide dissolved in rainwater flows down the soil profile and then it's evaporation at the surface causes the concentration of the carbonic acid to the extent where it then crystallizes out as a um, carbonate and in this case probably calcium carbonate calcium is just very common in soils so very oh, often the carbonate the article too didn't it yeah interesting yeah. That's yeah. Okay. And they actually point this out in the methods in this paper. The soil yeah. profile is riddled with carbonates. And, and, and they said it went down seven meters too. I mean, it went right. all the way down. Yeah. yeah well, just, if I read this part, yeah, they yeah. say the major components consist of various forms of what they're calling tufa, which is precipitated calcium carbonate, thus of the roughly five meters of exposed stratigraphic units all have a high carbonate signature. There's there's our key, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, if they're finding the carbonate signature, then that's telling us there was leaching going on. Yeah. So <clears throat> you'll notice that down the bottom, though, we've got some pretty old ages for horses. If you look at the bottom of the profile, there's some of the horses they date to 27, 28,000, 32,000, 41,000 years of age. Now, um, those dates... Um, they could have, they probably could have dated the bones. Um, and they're probably fairly accurate at that date because it's 40,000 years. The, the carbonates really mess things up in the top meter or so because that's where the fresh carbonates are forming. Yeah, Once that you makes get about sense. two or three metres down, there are no more new carbonates, so you're not getting new carbon contaminating the, the carbonates, right? So the, yep. the further you go down and you're getting into the big numbers, then you're mm -hmm. starting to get measurements because, you know, 
41,000, 45,000. Okay, there's not much difference, but that 4,000 could be um, affected by the carbonates. But yeah, so most of those measurements down the bottom, they're all going to be carbonate measurements. But the ones yeah. down the bottom are more useful than the ones at the top because, you know, because you've got this very young carbonates are, are still being formed and you're still getting CO2 shifting down the profile and, and layering up on the on this material. So so that creates a problem. Oh, so that that could actually because it, it's more prominent on those upper layers, on those upper levels, could that potentially throw the dating off when they test the bones? I guess that, that would, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. That's would, part of the problem here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I mean the reason I have got a particular interest in the carbonates is because of the I paid an awful lot of attention to Kennewick Man. Oh um, yeah. And because Kennewick Man uh, I I'll just quickly tell you the story of Kennewick Man because it's really is a it's a fascinating story and some of the science there's you, there's YouTube videos on that for my audience. There are yeah. I've I've watched several this last few days since inviting Dr. Southerton here. Simon, yeah. he told me to call him Simon so yeah. Simon says, <laughs> but so YouTube videos will give you a good historical overview. It's a very recent find, just in the 1990s. So, yeah, so, 1996. Yeah. Um, it was um, it was washed out of the bank of the Kennewick River in Washington. Now this is eastern Washington. Okay, now eastern Washington is absolutely poles apart from. Western Washington. If you've been to Western Washington, it's wet, lush, yeah. pine trees, all that stuff. Eastern Washington is a desert. And Kennewick man's bones were buried on the banks of the uh, Kennewick River, sorry, yeah. the Columbia River and uh, in Kennewick, and they were washed out of the river and uh, the riverbank. And scientists were called, a forensic scientist was called because they thought it might be a, a recent murder or something. And the, the scientist was uh, Jim Chatters. And yeah. he's an outstanding forensic scientist. And the moment he got there, he knew, oh, no, this, this one's old. And so they called in a team of um, anthropologists and archaeologists, and they gathered up all the bones of the skeleton. And it's, it is the most well-preserved and probably one of the most complete skeletons that we have of a Paleolithic yeah. uh, Native American. Did, now, didn't they think they have about 90% of that skeleton? 85 over 90%, probably 95%. Yeah, that, that's incredible. That is incredible. So it was a right from the word go, scientists knew this was this was really old because the skeleton had a, a Paleolithic spear point in the hip. Yeah. It was lodged in the hip, the stone spear point. The bone had actually begun to grow over that. He survived the, that wound. The man was very lucky because he survived, and it didn't. They can actually tell from the way that the bones are worn that he didn't even have a really weird walk. That's yeah. how sophisticated the analysis is. So, so they knew that he me, man. I'd have wussed out and got in a wheelchair. <laughs> no, he was, just, he was just extremely lucky because it wedged, it lodged yeah. right in the. In, it was always buried in the hip bone. The, sp the wooden spear point broke off and then healed over, and he was probably fairly normal. But uh, there are other fascinating things they found about Kennewick. One of the most one of the most interesting things was that he used to hunt 
birds using what's called a bowler. And a bowler is a couple of, um, you, you stick stones in this thing and you swing it around, you throw it up in the air and then it wraps around the legs of the bird and brings the bird down, right? And the, so the stone that's in the bowler is like, you can imagine a big fat marble. And they could tell from a couple of the dings in his skull that he'd, uh, the stone had come out when he was practicing or learning. Oh, he, that's he, genius. That is interesting. on his head. That's like me with nunchucks. I I am good enough with nunchucks to be dangerous to myself. I hit myself more than anybody. (laughs) So he, and of course, that's also a paleolithic uh, weapon. He had a paleolithic spear spear point. They had a, a, a finger bone that they isolated collagen out of, really good quality collagen. And they got a date of a radiocarbon date of eight thousand years, which is around about nine thousand years, because you have to correct for things. Um, and uh, so straight away they knew it was very old. Then we had a very sad period when there was um, there were uh, indigenous people were concerned to rebury the bones. Scientists were desperate to study this. Um, there were sort of racial problems as well because the some scientists believe that the the skull looked more European than Native yeah, American. Yeah, yeah um, they, did, they did facial reconstructions yeah. and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. What it turns out is that uh, the, the skull is actually on the spectrum of variation that they have for Native Americans. And so he wasn't particularly um, odd, wasn't European or anything. So that created no, no. a – but, you know, you can imagine there are a lot of Americans think – some people who are inclined to be racist were thinking, oh, you know, Native Americans, this, this evidence supports the fact that Native Americans were, white, were um, wiped out a superior race. Yeah. Um, sadly, some Mormons are involved in that. You know, Tom, uh, what's his name? Scott, Orson Scott Card wrote us some, because they were all excited to see that this Kennewick man looked well, it's a, it's a white European 9,000 years ago. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's. that's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's for another um, subject. Yeah, that's interesting. So they launched into a very big. Eventually, there was a big legal battle, and they got the scientists got access to the bones. Um, and if I forget, in case I forget to say this at the end, the bones have now been returned to the indigenous um, peoples, um, largely because the evidence that's come from the research has proven that the individual was related to the people in that area. Um, and was genuinely a Native American, just like everyone else. And so it's all been a good, very nice um, science has come out of it. And I'll talk a little bit more. Now, about now they that. really did, didn't they? Uh, weren't they able to extract uh, DNA, DNA. A, yeah. out of like nine different parts of his bones in, in his skeleton, right? I mean, it's yeah, pretty well, they, slight, the dating. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so they, they definitely got DNA. Um, so what? But they assembled a, a a very big team of the most highly regarded um, archaeologists and anthropologists um, to study every aspect that they could of Kennewick Man, and they've, they've published a book. Douglas Owsley, the Owsley, um, yeah, that's the name. He's Owsley. the head of um, Smithsonian Institute, the Department yeah. of Art, um, Anthropology. He led the team. And uh, there were a bunch of other scientists that um, 
leading scientists in the US that worked on Kennewick Man. So um, one of the challenges they had was that the bones were washed out of the river. All of the bones were washed out of the riverbank. Okay, yeah. so so they didn't. Um, they had to do very detailed forensic analysis to determine how deep uh, Kennewick Man was was when he was buried. Right, um, and they and so they. For example, they measured the size of the grains in the soil down the profile, and they measured the size of the grains that were attached to the bones. Wow, and pretty detailed stuff then. Yeah. So that was that was only one thing. There were two carbonate layers in the soil profile. One was at around about a meter, and one was I think uh, further down. Uh, uh -huh. And they found that it was um, closer to the one that was about a meter in depth. Um, but there were oh, there's bunch of other things they did um, but in order to accurately date him they, the, the most important thing they had had uh, to do was to date collagen so they did another 12 very careful uh, collagen isolations from several of the bones and again they all came back 8,000 years old so 9,000 years before present so so you, nine thousand BC, not not nine thousand years ago. Nine thousand years ago. Oh, okay, yeah. Nine, yeah, nine thousand years ago. So seven hundred. He was related to the Amerindians. There, he's not a white. Yeah. He's not a white guy. Yeah, yeah, I I think I remember reading that they they first announced that he was a Caucasoidal, and the yeah. the newspapers and people thought that was. Caucasian, and that's what caused all the big brouhaha. I mean, yeah. leave it well, to our media to disrupt everything and make stupid mistakes. But yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, it's it, it, those early suggestions that there were Caucasoidal um, similarities. You know, to, to Europeans were, um, you know, that just sort of really appealed to a lot of Mormon scholars. Some Mormon scholars, no, not not all Mormon scholars, but some, and. It was uh, used to support the Book of Mormon, but as I mentioned, uh, Kennewick Man was DNA. They got DNA, they, so they got. He, he was a very well preserved skeleton. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. DNA was isolated. So, how were they using Kennewick Man to support the Book of Mormon? I, I mean, we're talking nine thousand years ago. Nothing in the Book of Mormon is that old. Yeah, yeah. Are they um, using that to suggest there was earlier boat migrations or something across the ocean? How are they doing that? No, they're doing it because uh, I think the scientists regret doing this now, given what's happened. I bet they do. <laughs> because the, the scientists that did the research are well aware of um, um, some of the claims of Mormon scholars about Kennewick Man. In fact, they've communicated with the author. The author, uh, the, the individual we're talking about is David Reed, who wrote a book called... Um, the face of Nephite. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that face one. Of Nephite. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, so the scientists have talked to David. David. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because what the scientists did was they they were so they were so interested in their analysis that they um, just like the horse bones and the the problem with um, the Mexican horse bones and the and the, car, uh, and the um, Carbonates, um, the soil that Kennewick Man was buried in also contained carbonates. There was a carbonate layer. So oh. several of Kennewick Man's bones 
also yeah. were covered in carbonates or they had carbonates inside the bone because the carbonates just get everywhere. It's just wherever it the water is. Everything, yeah. 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 And, and then Water's the universal salt. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so they dated the carbonates only because they were interested in the when the carbonates formed. And right. they found that they were about 2,500 years old. Okay. Now, oh, ever since oh, that discovery, David Reed has concluded that the carbonates are the true age of Kennewick man. And the. Uh, oh, the, um, how clever. Collagen, collagen is relevant. Because I, I can't remember actually how he explains away the collagen. But, well, apart from the fact that he believes the earth is 6,000 years old. Okay. He's, he knows the earth. Yeah. They're, he's oh, a, wow. the Heartland group. Yeah, no, they're young <laughs> earth creationists. Okay. So some of the evidence wow. that they use to throw out the science is. Well, no, that's not right because the Earth, uh, Noah got off the boat four and a half thousand years ago, so the collagen dates must be wrong. Okay, this is what happens when you really meddle, you mess, uh, you intermingle crazy um, young Earth creationism with science. And that's one thing right. that really sort of gets gets my uh, goat when they twist the science. <laughs> rightly it's so. Not... As a good scientist, yeah. that would rightly... Bother you now? Okay, so so David Reed comes up with this idea. He's using the wrong. He's using. I, it sounds to me like he's using the wrong substance to get his uh, Nephites and Lamanites and Jaredites in the Book of Mormon confirmed. Yeah, and he has been actually talked to by the scientists. Has he responded to that? Has he? Has he? Uh, has he been? <coughs> His idea, or, or yeah, excuse me for taking a a uh, cough lolly. That's just to stop me coughing because I've got a bit of a ling a lingering, I think it's a lingering COVID thing. Um, yeah, he so Dave, David Reed. I um, he's he's um he's got a fair bit of intestinal fortitude. He sent me a copy of his book prior to publication. He also sent a copy of his book. To Jim Chatters <clears throat> prior to publication, and he highlighted the points that he made about the carbon, the carbonate dates. Yeah. So With you Jim knew about emails in emails. He explicitly told him the, the carbonates have nothing to do with Kenwick Man. They, they were not. We didn't do carbonate dating. Yeah, They did the carbonate so, dating. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And so. So David Reed just responds with some blurb and blah, 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 and then send, I think he sent him another copy. Jim Chatters comes back again and says, the carbonate dates are not related to Kenwick Man. So this is the second time? Yeah, this book is now Did published. David Reed was called that? Yeah. And he went and ahead and published the book anyway, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean... Well, he okay, sure I didn't publish it at Oxford University. I can understand somebody misinterpreting, misinterpreting some complicated science. But when a scientist tells you, no, that is not related to Kenwick Man, and you go yeah. ahead and publish it, you're lying. Yeah, so David yeah, you're, done. Right you're done. Yeah, yeah, that'll, that's instantly Yeah, that's astonishing. Yeah. I did not know that about David Reed. So that, well, that the reason, is... the reason they became... 
obsessed with responding to Kennewick Man uh, came about when they did the DNA analysis. So in 2015, they published the genome of Kennewick Man, but they also published the mitochondrial DNA lineage. And Kennewick Man has the most ancient form. If you imagine a genealogical tree of X lineages in the Americas, Kennewick Man sits at the trunk of that tree. He's at the base of that tree, and all of the other X2, X2 lineages in the Americas descend from Kennewick Man's lineage. So that's further evidence that Kennewick Man is very old, the fact yeah. that the DNA. But they also yeah. sequenced his genome. They have the genome of Kennewick Man, and they've compared that to other, in, other individuals around the world. If Kennewick Man had had even 1%, of Middle Eastern DNA in his genome, the scientists would have found it and they would have, the whole world would know. This would have been earth shattering, an earth shattering discovery. It would have been, wouldn't it? But So he had none of it. No, he's got no Middle Eastern DNA. It's very simple now with genomics to determine if somebody's got smidgens of Middle Eastern DNA. And so, yeah, he's got, he's related to, um, they compared the genome of, Kennewick man with other ancient skeletons they found around the Americas and in um, living uh, first Americans and you know, he's related to he's related closely to them he's he's firmly here he's firmly here Absolutely. in the ancient Americas then yeah yeah Interesting. so so that's relevant, that's relevant with these horse bone ideas be, because uh we now know, based on the experience with Kennewick man, that the uh, uh, not the collagen. What's the other word? What what's the carbon? The calcium carbonate. carbon. Carbonate. That, yeah. that can't be dated, and so we have to be very careful if we can't get the collagen from those horse bones. Well, it can be dated. So yeah, what the carbonates will tell you is, um, if you imagine a picture of say a piece of car charcoal sitting in the soil and the rainfall is, you know, running past it and it's precipitating. You get layers of calcium carbonate are built up. So, so at that particular on that particular piece of charcoal, you will have carbonates that might have crystallized, say, three thousand years ago, two and a half oh, thousand years ago. So a whole range of ages. So when you date that carbonate, you're just getting an average for that whole period during which the carbonates were formed. Okay, so I got you. Oh, it's okay. an average day. I was a little confused. The collagen wouldn't do that, though, would it? Because it's direct. It's much more direct. You it's can, right out. You of can the isolate collagen. Um, then you can purify. You can you can easily purify purify away any car any carbonates. Just in, just a, using a chemical chemicals and chemical processes that are well established. Mm -hmm. So um, so you you actually end up with pure collagen. Which is amino acids, um, and uh, in the case of Kennewick man, they were outstanding, amazingly uh, well-preserved bones. So many of the bones had high-quality collagen that came from them. Gotcha. So we can, we can. There's certainly absolutely, there's no doubt at all. So if you we're, think we're about, fortunate, we're fortunate to have that big of a skeleton. Then, uh, after all that time, 
in the river. Yeah. Didn't those uh, kids that were trying to sneak in to watch the glider races or whatever, they tripped over his skull <laughs> and it was. I don't, in the know, I, don't the, I don't know the full story, but I think it was something like that. It was some big they event. They were sneaking around backwards and back. Probably making big waves yeah. and the waves. Um, <laughs> those dirty black kids. <laughs> yeah. It was good uh, that they recorded it early because um, everything was preserved. So they, whatever they don't have was um, it's probably lost, you know, would have been washed down the river or something. <clears throat> but unfortunately, there was nothing left in the side of the, um, st actually stuck in the soil profile. But the scientists had no doubt at all that the bones came from, um, they're about a metre, just over a metre underground. It's not just right. the grain. Um, okay. there was, there's another thing, um, a very common geological feature across the Pacific Northwest, and that's the Mazama ash layer. Now, there was a whopping great big volcano that blew up um, about 7,700 years ago. I think it's Crater Lake in Oregon is where, where it was oh, Mount Mazama, what's left of it. Yeah. And it blew up, and there's a huge area of North, the Pacific Northwest that's covered, you know, was covered in a layer of, of uh, tephra. It's called tephra. And in some places close to the volcano, it was it was metres deep. But I think out of Kennewick, it's something like two or three centimetres deep or something. But they know where they know where that Mazama that, that Mazama ash layer tells them that's seven and a half that's seven thousand seven hundred years ago. So it's a very useful timestamp. Oh yeah, yeah, if, yeah. It would, it would yeah. So if 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 they um, when Ken, if Kennewick man had been buried, if they dug the hole for him because he was buried by other other people, yeah, yeah, he them, was reburied. Uh huh. The bones actually, um, in situ, they leave marks on each other if they're lying across each other. So from all of those marks, they're able to work out how the body was sort of laid and positioned and whatever. Um, and so if Kennewick Man had been buried after the Mazama eruption, then there would have been um, tephra and Mazama ash all over the skeleton because it's just everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And so it would have been um, attached firmly to the skeleton. Now, what was attached to the skeleton, which is related to the Mazama ash, is allophane. Now, allophane is a weathering product from tephra. So carbon dioxide into the carbonic acid traveling down the soil profile. There are lots of reactions that are going on. When it meets yeah. the Mazama ash layer, it weathers the Mazama ash and you get allophane forming. And because Kennewick Man was buried underneath the uh, he was buried before the Mazama ash layer was laid down. Right. And there was no Mazama ash attached to him, but the allophane yeah. from the Mazama ash washed down the soil profile to the bones. Very allophane on the bones, but not Mazama ash. So yeah, that's, that's why we know the dating is is pretty accurate then. So and it's timing. Yeah. He's at least before that volcano, volcano blew off. That's yeah. interesting. You've got, you've, got a, you've got a spear point stuck in his hip, which is clearly over seven or 8,000 years old. You've yeah. got um, 12 
collagen radiocarbon dating dates, gold standard, 9,000 years old. You've got the uh, X2A mitochondrial DNA. It's clearly much old, much earlier version, ancestral to all of living uh, Indigenous Americans that have the X DNA. So, and you have the, the allophane on the bones, the lack of Mazama ash, everything. And also the formation of carb carbonates. That lower, yeah. that carbonate layer was underneath the Mazama ash layer. So, yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful example of forensic archaeology. Yeah. yeah. But the reason yeah. that the Heartland crew got really interested in Ken Oakman was because he had the X lineage. And Rodney Meldrum's Heartland pseudos pseudoscience, excuse me, is entirely, entirely reliant on the X lineage being derived from the Middle East. So alongside all the dodgy interpretations of the archaeological research on Kennewick Man, they've also done dodgy interpretations of the DNA evidence, claiming mm -hmm. that Kennewick uh, yeah. Man is uh, descended from Middle Eastern X, X lineages and yeah, it's just, it's just it, it, it just can't be. Um, Elisa yeah. Gullian asks a real good question, if you don't mind me having you answer this. Were these archaeologists mm -hmm. in Mexico professional or church provers? Wade Miller I'm was the on that, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and he's, a, he's the retired geologist at BYU? Yeah. 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 And, and he's a retired geologist. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. In my um, my response that I posted online, I mentioned that, you know, I don't know who, who how many of the others authors were LBS. I, I think I've, I've heard that um, one of the authors, Mead, is not a not LBS. Um, no? okay. And I suspect that the others are probably not LBS. Um, Jim Mead there is on about 190 papers. That seems like he's an author on almost every paper that comes out of the um, the mammoth site. That's right. He works at the mammoth site. Okay. So he just routinely goes on. What that means is that he probably has no idea what's in the paper. Probably hasn't read it. Right. Um, this is, he's probably got 20 papers a year that are coming in. So he's um, – but the other ones I suspect would be um, scientists that work, I think, in various places around the Mexico well, they agreed to have their research published in a pretty obscure journal. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> I mean, they did well, say they were trying to make a paradigm change and paradigm shift, and this would probably be the did, wrong there were, there were a couple of places in the paper where they sort of, you know, they talk about, um, you know, implying that there's sort of a growing body of evidence that um, horses may have survived much, much longer. Again, yeah. they need to be domesticated to survive. They've got to be domesticated, and there's no evidence of um, native. Yeah, there's, there's no domestication in North America, is there? Anciently, well, if they domesticated horses, then when the Spanish met them, they would have seen them with horses. You know, new, and these are not the same species of horse. Okay, these are different species of horse. So these horses, oh, yeah, yeah, they were, yeah, then the Spanish ones, yeah, yeah, they said that in the article. Species, so 
Hey, can I ask a can I ask a trivial question real quick? How do you, how do you pronounce Equus? E Q U U S. Is that Equus or Equus? I think he said it right. Equus. That's how I would say it. Equus. Equus. That, that, that's how I've. Uh, yeah, they yeah. mentioned there's an Equus Mexicana and another Equus uh, something or other. I can't remember. I thought I marked it. Oh, they show teeth. They show dentition. Yeah. The various teeth. That's a very common method they appear to use to um, determine what species it is. Yeah. Yeah, they show lots of teeth. They show lots of dentition stuff. Yeah. So this is serious stuff we're dealing with, folks. Mm. Yeah. Well, so, I, so, if, if, so essentially the problem, getting if we go back to the Mexican work, the problem is that they've dated um, material that's not the bones. They haven't got collagen for the species where they've got the dates and right. the fact that there are carbonates all the way through the soil I would say I would say that a serious competent yeah. archaeologist if he I was to receive so. that paper of review he would just reject outright he would just say I'm not gonna I'm not interested in carbon dates that are on in a soil environment like that there are some soils where the carbon there's hardly any carbonates so you can, in certain situations, date. Um, uh, you can so if the, if the plant material, the bones of, you can't get collagen, and you can date uh, material adjacent to it um, because there's there, there are no carbonates there. But um, yeah. in this case, I, I would think that a it's it's not that they have evidence to sh conclusive evidence of the carbonates. And what's caused the problem, but they would just say it's it's just such a it's they're unsuitable for da for dating, and they would probably have just not even reviewed the paper. So okay, um, that's interesting. Okay. And it's a common process. I've been through this process before. Where you submit to a really high journal because all of your research is just so so amazing and outstanding, and everyone in the world should just love it. And you submit right. to Nature, and they they reject you in ten seconds. Um, but you know. If this had been submitted to an anthropological or paleontological journal, and Wade Miller has published in these journals several times before, yeah, yeah, he's got quite publications. Yeah. He's got plenty of publications. So, and and he has actually, like you said, um, I got looking, I can't remember where, maybe it's in on the Book of Mormon Central site. Uh, he has published quite a bit with the Mormon apologetic materials on the yeah. animals in the Book of Mormon. He's co-authored uh, papers with Matt Roper and uh, various others, and then on his own, dealing with the various elephants and curlums and cumums and all that jazz. So he's been active with it for years in the apologetic side. But he's also been able to produce in the scientific journals, also. So it, it is. We'll we'll give him credit. We'll we'll give him. Uh, it's unfortunate. I'll put it that way. That he chose to publish in this journal instead of something a little bit more uh, magnificent. Uh, not quite the right word, but that does mm -hmm. cause us to say, "Well, I, I, I'm astonished that David Reed has been talked to by the scientists, and yet." <laughs> you know how do you how do you classify that without being rude i don't know 
I'm not going to say anything well, else. I, mean, I don't want to disparage him. He's written a book and I haven't, so he's ahead of me that yeah. way. But, yeah. Well, I've, I've actually corresponded with three of the authors, three of the co-authors of that book. Um, one was Stafford. I'm oh, sorry, I can't remember his first name, Stafford. Um, he did, he actually did the radiocarbon dating of oh, Canute Man. Uh, Jim, Jim Chatters um, basically prepared and selected out the samples for him. Um, right. And also Douglas Owsley. And these people were, oh, they took a while to get a response from them, but they, it's just the whole episode with David Ree and the, and the face of an ephite is just so depressing. If you buy the book, the front cover has got a, a, um, a picture uh, is a photograph of Kennewick Man. So yeah. they did clay, clay reconstructions. Okay, they've got the skeleton, yeah. they've taken yeah, models. I remember, and, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. So they've created these beautiful images of what Kennewick Man probably looked like. And here you've got a Mormon sticking it on the front cover of an apologetic book. And, you know, yeah. Douglas Owsley had no power to stop that because the really? Smithsonian, the Smithsonian wow. is publicly funded. And so their policy is that they just they let everyone use everything. And so if you look up the book, David Reed's book is filled with images, graphs and stuff that are all taken, lifted from um, the work of, um, of uh, Douglas Owsley and uh, I can't remember the name of the book. But the whole team, is about 60 co-authors were involved in the analysis of Kennewick Man. So it's one of them. It's the most detailed study of an ancient skeleton that's ever been done. And here you've got David Reed saying, oh, no, guys, you've got it all wrong. Yeah. Man, I know, that just kind of... years old, he could have been. It probably was an Ephite. Kind of... Um, this, this hey, goes, I, I, sorry, I, I've got a wonderful uh, friend, Geoplanet Jane. Uh, she is also a fellow scientist, and yeah. she says, I like this guy, and I know she's not meaning me, so... That's got to be you. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. Well, I miss my hair up like you. <laughs> my hair, my hair is shot to heck too. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, that, that's um, that's interesting. <laughs> so I, the, the communications that I have with the scientists, Jim Chatters was the most helpful um, because he uh -huh. had actually communicated with David Reed. But um, now Jim Chatter, remind us who he was. He was the gentleman who first. He was the first archaeologist, forensic oh, archaeologist, or anthropologist. Okay. A forensic scientist that um, he was the first one. Oh, he was to, pretty much in on it from the start. Yeah. Absolutely. It's right there. Walked the bank of the river, picking up the bones. Um, oh, okay. Okay, yeah. yeah. He, he was there all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, these guys, I mean, Douglas Owsley is, and all these guys that worked on it are just very respected scientists. And they've done lots of this sort of stuff. So they probably would have even just had a gut gut sense oh this is this one's a cracker this is very very old and this is amazing and yeah so they would have been passionate about um, studying the skeleton and the findings have just been just got to keep a bit of an eye on the time you yeah, know good um the findings have just been one i think they've been amazing for the indigenous community as well because it's completely confirmed that he is their ancestor he's one of their ancestors so yeah, yeah. And yeah, so that came out in a couple of the YouTube videos that I watched yeah. earlier this week. Uh, they they've yeah. done the they've done the research. Well, they even allowed the uh, the uh, native tribes to rebury Kennewick, 
It was well, Barack Obama in in 2017 that gave him a presidential executive order to give the bones back to the tribe. Yeah, yeah. So that now the scientists be- were obviously um, that they, they, they want to keep analyzing the skeleton because you know new techniques are developed all the time. I know. So like some of the stuff, some of the really interesting stuff they were doing was um, like there's there's not only carbon, but there are nitrogen and oxygen isotopes that yeah. you can study, study in the skeleton, and they will tell you the sort of food that the person ate, that sort of thing. So, so they're, they're increasing their ability with the radi- radiometric dating to their broadening so that if one technique can't quite get in there, maybe yeah. another one can, and they can cross-check themselves. Yeah. So you, yeah. I think they do. Basically, you have an axis where on one axis you'll have the level of say an oxygen isotope, and on another axis you'll have the level of a nitrogen isotope, and then you, okay. then you look at where they intersect, and you plot um, all of these things for a range of other skeletons. So they did that, and they compared Kennewick man's numbers with other skeletons. Uh, much younger oh, no. individuals, and he was just a real outlier. And what they actually figured out in the end, um, because he was a Paleolithic hunter, right? Um, they yeah. reckon that he went through annual periods of hunger. So he ate salmon, but salmon mm-hmm. don't run all year. And so you have a half of the year he had salmon and he had plenty of plenty to eat, and he could sit on the side of the river and just eat salmon. Great um, but then for a year, he had to go and spear, you know, elk and and deer and whatnot to survive. So, but he went through periods of severe hunger. Now, what happened was around about five thousand years ago, um, Indigenous Americans figured out how to smoke and to store salmon for a, for the entire year. Okay, right. so what effectively? So effectively, they've now domesticated, they've effectively almost domesticated salmon, and their populations then grow very rapidly because there's no, sure. there's no period of starvation during the year. So, right. so that's even more evidence that Kenwick Man is old, because if he if he had been in the last five thousand years, of course, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, nice nitrogen isotopes. Would have been identical to the ones of right. Yeah, that's clever. That is clever. (laughs) I I mean, it's it's just a story of just. I mean, if you only look at it from the perspective of the Book of Mormon, yeah, it's one line after an one piece of evidence after another that um, that rules out him being two and a half thousand years old. But in fact, if you just ignore the Book of Mormon and just focus on the science, the science is fantastic. It's, it it's, is. It really is. I guess what I'm saying muddies stuff up. It appears to me. It, it just yeah. doesn't have any relevance. It, it's astonishing. Well, it, that, pollutes, it pollutes some absolutely wonderful science yeah. and completely distorts it. Um, yeah. And so that, that's why I responded so so quickly to the. I mean, I'm known for riding hobby horses. Okay, I rode a DNA hobby horse out of the. Out of oh, the we're glad you do. I'm going to have you on the show again. Yeah. So it's about time that I actually got on a horse and and focused yeah. on horses. So, um, but the other the other issue is that you know we've got um, DNA 
analysis has now been done on a pile of horses in, in the Americas, because horses have been in the Americas for 500 years, so you've got lots of breeds have been developed. And, of course, Mormons speculate, you know, the Appalachian horses and other horses that might be the ones that are descended from the horses that were domesticated by, the, you know, the um, Lehi and the Jaredites. Um, but if that was the case, then you'd have um, interbreeding going on with the Spanish horses. There's no evidence mm -hmm. of that. There's no, no evidence of any um, New World DNA in the horses of... Yeah. Um, can, can I have Most another time. question asked of you? I've got my good friend, Doug Vincent. He says, Dr. Southerton, what do you think about the New Mexico footprints and the more recent discoveries of a 37,000-year-old butchered mammoth? Have, have you heard of those? Are you aware of those? I think the 37,000-year-old, that might be the one in California. Um, I'm not so sure about that. I, I don't know enough about that. Um, okay. I'm fairly see, convinced. See, folks, this is a good scientist. When he doesn't know, he says so. That's the difference yeah. between a scientist and an apologist. Well, I haven't looked into that closely. Thirty-seven thousand okay. year old—that's that's a um, that's a big ask because I don't think there's much that's evidence. Quite a ways of back, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think there's much evidence of humans in sort of on the other side of the Bering Strait at that sort of time period. However. Um, I'm more convinced by the – there is a cave in Mexico where they've found um, – they've done some very deep uh, stratigraphic analysis and mm -hmm. they've dated – they've found very, very ancient um, uh, lithic artefacts that pre that seem to be – that are much, much uh, more um, crude than the uh, Clovis spear point. So there may have been – People in Mexico as early as um, I think about 30,000 years ago. So it's not too much earlier than that. Um, okay. So I think, I think hey, it's this, possible. Because, this is right. We'll send us a link to the article. So yeah. if he sends it to me, I'll send it on to you and we can maybe we can talk about that in another. Yeah. Thank you, Doug. But I think there's. Um, I think there is growing belief among scientists that um, they, they, there were people in the Americas over 25,000 years ago. Um, Boy, that goes way back. Like those footprints in that lake in New Mexico, um, they've carbon dated the seeds. So in the footprints, as the person was walking through the lake, they, they pressed their feet down onto right. seeds, seeds that were on the surface, and those seeds got... Um, cemented into the footprints and they've carbon dated those uh, seeds and I think they're about 22,000 Oh that's how they're dating it That's genius so they, carbon, they carbon dated the um, the seeds I think it's uh, I can't remember what the name of the grass is but it's a grass a sedge, sedge type grass that's found in the in the lakes um, And, it, and so, it went back that far huh? Wow yeah. that's, that's pretty so awesome that's, um, Yeah so that I suspect that uh, environment um, may be suitable because it doesn't form the carbonates like they do in the in some of the other sites. Right. right. But yeah, that, but that that finding is still up there, and there are scientists that don't accept that, and they'll criticise it and whatever. Right. Um, but one of the convincing things is that they found mammoth footprints. As well, I guess that doesn't tell them twenty-two thousand years ago. Oh, that'd just give you goosebumps if you did that, wouldn't it? 
yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I, I tend to believe that the um, humans probably got into the Americas over 30,000 years ago um, and they either mixed with the um, yeah. indigenous Americans when they came through and maybe they were just completely diluted out or as humans in the past have often done, when you meet another human, you, you kill them. <laughs> I mean, right. Life was brutal. Life was brutal back then. Um, well, that 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 this has been absolutely fascinating, Doctor Simon. Um, oh. I, I know you have to uh, pick up your daughter here in just a little bit. Um, so, I'll be okay. I've got a, I've got another half an hour, but yeah, we don't well, have to keep another half an hour. But. Well, we would love to, though. Uh, if if the audience has some questions, why don't we field some questions? Would you would you guys ask us questions in the comments, and I will put them up here. Can you see the questions, Simon? Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah okay. Put them up here, and uh, let's have. This is a great opportunity for us to learn from Doctor Southerston directly. So, give us your questions, and uh, yes, and please smash that like button. So, oh, GeoPlanet Jane says you're good. That's wonderful. Thank you. Jane, Thank you're you. awesome, too. I'm not kidding. I've loved having you on my chat rooms. I appreciate you putting up with me, all of you. Yeah, okay. I, I, would, I would be um, It'd be good to get a, a, a um, geologist who's done some carbon dating to get a, a really professional opinion on this. I mean, what I've picked up is from my close look at the Kennewick Man work, Right, um, and so I do know that the carbonates are an issue. Um, it would be good to get a geologist on who's done carbon dating. I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm one of the scientists I correspond with has done some carbon dating, uh -huh. and yeah, so it's quite possible in the review process with a journal like the you know the Texas Journal of Science they didn't get a a skilled carbon dating scientist to review it. Okay, we've got a question for you, Simon. This is from our friend Flat Pat. How long can carbon dating reliable go back to? Reliably go back to? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked it because I'd actually done a little bit of homework on this. Um, they just recently updated the calibration. So carbon dating uses a calibration curve that's developed by. Um, pooling data from lots of different studies around the world. And they've just published in 2020 the latest calibration now goes back to 55 to 60,000 years. Now, the reason wow. we can go back further is, is the equipment now is so much more sensitive, so it can pick up really, really tiny traces. And that's one of the problems with carbon dating. It will never go. There will be its limits. And so how carbon, dating, how carbon dating works is that cosmic rays, we've got piles of nitrogen up in the upper atmosphere and cosmic rays hit the nitrogen and they, um, every now and then they produce carbon-14. And carbon-14 then, uh, it gets mixed around in the atmosphere and it gets incorporated into CO2 and then it gets into plants and animals. Um, and... Once the animal dies, so there's a ratio in the science. It's very simple for scientists to measure the ratio of carbon 12 to carbon 14 in a living organism. So an organism that's just died will have 
will have the same ratio of carbon-12 to carbon-14 as the atmosphere. But every 5,730 years, that through radioactive decay, a process called beta decay, the carbon-14 will convert back to carbon, so sorry, to nitrogen-14. And so every roughly 5,700 years, that will half. And That's the half-life, yeah. Yeah, so you can, so currently you can do about 10 half-lives of carbon and then it's getting to the point where it's, it's not terribly reliable. So we can go back far enough to pretty much deal with anybody who is in the Book of Mormon, can't we? Well, it's such a well, it's, it's a very powerful technology in the right hands. If people know all the limitations and things they've got to watch out for, like carbonates and tree yeah. roots um, and other young carbon contaminating the thing that you're measuring. For example, if somebody's built a fireplace and they've chucked coal into the into the fireplace and used that, and you go and carbon date the coal or whatever, you know, coal has. Yeah. Coal has a carbon data, you know, it's got precisely yeah. zero um, <laughs> carbon-14 because it's so old. Um, yeah. But there's, I should also point out that there are also carbon-14 apologists, so I'll show they're carbon-dating apologists. Yeah. And there are carbon-dating, there are apologists who point out that, oh, you know, we sent coal to this lab and they gave us a date. And we know it's coal, so that proves that carbon dating is all unreliable. Well, there are the occasional coal deposits that will have, sure, know, through radioactive. There are lots of other radioactive things in the ground, and and yeah. coal in certain situations will have radioactive things in them, which will actually yeah. give rise to some small amounts of um, carbon fourteen. So, very trace amounts, but generally, coal is effectively carbon dead, carbon radioactive. Yeah. It's got no carbon, radioactive carbon in it. So um, Doug Vincent asks, thank you, Flat Pat, for that question. Doug Vincent asks, what is the oldest well-dated and confirmed skeleton of a Native person? I, I take it you mean Native American person, Doug. Um, Do we know? Would that yeah. be Kenwick Man? <laughs> well, he's certainly the... I think there might be a few others that are around about the 10,000-year age. But he's Kenwick man would have to be right up there. But his his skeleton is just amazingly well preserved. Um, the oldest human I think is around about the thirty-seven to forty thousand years old. Um, uh -huh. So that's that's uh, Homo sapiens in Europe. Right. Um, yeah. So it's you you need to have pretty good conditions for the preservation of collagen. Um, yeah. You don't. It's um. And that's tough to come by. <laughs> Our Earth is very active. <laughs> yep. Here, yep. Here's a question by Geoplanet Jane. What is Dr. Southerton's opinion of the DNA work on Neanderthals and Denisovans? Oh, how long have you got? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm fascinated by it. Um, yeah. I posted recently about um, uh, Svante Pebu. 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 He's the Swedish scientist that just won the Nobel Prize uh -huh. um, and in medicine and, and medicine and physiology. And he's the scientist that sequenced the uh, first Neanderthal genome. Oh, and his really? team also sequenced 
Yeah, so they sequenced the um, Denisovan genome as well. That's cool. Yeah. So, so essentially what happened is that as humans moved into out of Africa and into Europe and Asia, yeah. they encountered Neanderthals all the way across the, a lot of it. So our early ancestors encountered Neanderthals all the time. Uh-huh. Now, I, I should say, I should point out, before the sequence of the genome of Neanderthals was published, I would say that the vast majority of scientists completely rejected the theory that we'd interbred with them. And DNA changed that in a heartbeat. Bang. Instantly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely no question now. Um, but that's just how powerful DNA science is. So yeah. Yeah, the only way they could... This speculation came from the odd can, odd skeleton that had a bit of a, you know, it looked like it might be a little, little bit of Neanderthal in there influencing it. Um, we now know that there's so little Neanderthal genome in our genome that it's very unlikely that it would have had any sort of significant influence on our morphology. So all these jokes about, yeah, I've got a bit, a bit more Neanderthal, so that's why it looks like that. That's all, that's just all fun. But um, so what... But because Neanderthals interacted with our very earliest ancestors as they moved into Europe, um, that Neanderthal DNA spread throughout the entire population of humans that have moved into Europe and Asia. Yeah. So you well, will not find traces of that in some yeah. of us. So you will not find it's, it's impossible now for a European not to contain a little bit of Neanderthal DNA. And the reason for that is. Um, and a process called recombination. So every generation, the Neanderthal genome, so if somebody marries into interbreeds with a Neanderthal, in the next generation you've got Neanderthal chromosomes and a human chromosome, and then the next generation they're crossing over. You get this recombination. So they get the chromosomes get chopped up and rearranged in every generation. And so after hundreds and hundreds of generations of this chopping up, the Neanderthal DNA is just tiny little fragments. When I say tiny, this could be tens of thousands of base pairs. Yeah. Of it's, it's a big genome, 3.6 billion letters. Yeah. So our genome is just, if we've got about, Europeans roughly have about 2%, 2 to 3% Neanderthal DNA. Yeah. And it's not with a chunk of Neanderthal on one chromosome here and a chunk here. It's thousands and thousands of tiny fragments all along each chromosome. Oh, the other fascinating I, didn't, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, so what that means is if you can't breed a human and get all the Neanderthal out, you can't because we right. all have it, um, it'll it'll it, stay in there, so it's there for it's there forever. It's just part of our um, family tree. But the other, so so that has a relevance in a way. And I, I'm not trying to uh, take you off track here, but you know, they ask, well, you know, what does if we had Nephite or Lamanite DNA in the Americas, what would it look like? I've I've had that question asked. You know, when I when I came out and said I can't defend the indefensible anymore, I can't be a Mormon apologist, and DNA is one of the issues. By the way, I'm going to do a, a plug on you, the Lost Tribe, losing a lost tribe. If you haven't read Doctor Southerton's book, I did a video on it a little over a year ago, but this yeah. book is wonderful. So anyway, okay, now back to our scheduled <laughs> argy bargy. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> oh, hey, here's here, Flat Pat was asking uh, just off the cuff. How well does Simon think the New Mexico dating New Mexico dating will hold up? That would be a shocking earlier human dating. The footprints. Um, yeah, they're talking about the, I think they're talking about the dating of the footprints. I think I so. Think yes. In, yeah, that was in New Mexico. Um, yeah. I, I was talking to a, a um, we in my podcast series. I should put in a plug for my podcast that I'm doing with John Lynn, Science versus Mormonism. One of those podcasts, the very first one, we had a uh, an Australian scientist who's worked on the earliest Australians, and uh, he had some um, he had some really fascinating. He's done some fascinating work on you know, human migration into Australia. He sequenced the the Aboriginal genome. Um, Mark Westaway, and in his, he was the first one I spoke to. They said, "Oh, yeah, we're not, you know, there will be some argy bargy on this one." Um, so, the the challenge is that when you, the further you go back, you're dealing with smaller and smaller populations. So there's not, it it does get harder and harder to find, um, you know, really good sites. But as yeah. the science progresses, people are getting smarter and smarter about you know, where people chose to live. And so they're, they're starting to get a better feel for where where to look. Yeah. Um, and yeah. there's a lot more Americans. There's a lot more people living all over America, so they're finding things. So it's yeah. going to be – it's going to um, – Bigger uh, challenge. There's, there's going to be uh, quite a few that will be a bit sceptical. However, I think there's an, a growing consensus now among scientists that there's just so much genetic variation amongst American Indians that you just can't trace it all back to 15,000 years ago. It's um, They've really got to have been in the Americas 20 to 25,000 years ago. Yeah. And so what that, what that really means is um, it's not – and it's, it's also widely accepted that once they got in, they could have moved um, all the way to South America fairly quickly. Hey, hey! I heard I heard something interesting um, on the usage of uh, boats on a on a video earlier this week. The, the the corridor that came out of Siberia, coming down through Canada and into the even down into Colorado and all. Early on, of course, that was still a lot of ice, and it was very noisy. The ice was breaking off and all that, and it took a while for the vegetation to return. And so these early, these early people, they did build boats, but what they did is they sailed down the coast. They sailed along the coast and that helped them get to South America faster. And perhaps the first thing in my mind when I heard that is, well, I have read in Mormon apologetic work where they have found the ruins of Bolton all. And so they're saying, see, this is seafaring across the Pacific Ocean, and yet, in point of fact, it wasn't necessarily across the ocean. It's down the coast yeah. because yeah. that big, huge, wide ice corridor, it had not dried out the vegetation. And, I mean, if you don't have any animals, you're not going to make the walk from Alaska to Colorado and survive, you know. So, yeah. so in the since, since I wrote Losing Lost, well, actually, notes, um, yeah, no, at the time that I wrote Losing a Lost Tribe, the conventional wisdom was that there was an ice-free corridor that, that opened up in, in basically what is now Canada and that um, the Clovis people came through and they just 
went everywhere and wiped out many animals. Now, there's been a lot of work on looking at the scientists can tell using, I think it's a process, uh, chemothermoluminescence, which will tell you when uh, rocks were first exposed. So imagine rocks under an, a glacier. Mm -hmm. It will tell you when the glacier receded. So they basically figured out that the, um, the glacier just didn't open up in time. It didn't open up by 13,000 years ago, so they had to get in some other way. Um, the conventional wisdom now is that they came down the Pacific Northwest coast with lots of islands there, and some of those islands would not have been completely frozen over. So, yeah, not surprising. Yeah. They probably would have yeah. had some. And Jane is saying here, uh, she's saying there was more land exposed because so much of the water was locked up in the glaciers. So that, that makes sense too. But, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Lots, of, lots of islands there. So they would have um, all by canoes. But th there's no evidence that um, native cultures have developed uh, canoes that can can travel large distances over uncharted, you know, open sea, like the Polynesians. And, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they were animals on the sea. I've read a few things about Polynesians. They were spectacular. <laughs> yeah. It's quite In a... Fact, hey, you yeah. guys, you have any other questions for Dr. Simon Southerton? Ask them now, if you would, please. I've been trying to get as many questions in as I can. Um, they're speculating that Delin may be undercover from the strengthening members committee. It's <laughs> <laughs> <was> very good. <laughs> well, all right. Hey, let's uh, let's call it good for now. Um, I would like to invite you on for another show if and when you can and uh i know the mm -hmm. audience has appreciated you and we'll get you on here again and we'll do some more talking on some excellent science uh this has just been fabulous for me i've i've learned a lot this this is why i love doing this man it's getting to the source if you're going to study the science study with the scientists and don't do i i, I still can't quite i you know goes over my, I, I can't comprehend if a scientist has told David Reed, dude, you can't do that, that he went ahead and did it anyway. But that, see, I'm not an apologist and that's part of the issue. That It's just not credible. Well, it's, the, it's, the, it's this. Um, it's unfortunate. Conclusions fixed. So he's this, I think what's going on with David Reed is he's, his conclusion is fixed, right? He knows there oh, were, of course, yes. He starts with his answer. Yeah, at that time. And so his 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 idea of scientific re research is to look for things that, that uh, reinforce your conclusion. You throw everything else out. Now, I, I'm i speculating here about what's going on with you know, Wade Miller. And this, I think there's an element of the same problem here. Wade Miller believes the Book of Mormon is literally true, even though... Um, You've got Patrick Masson, Terrell Given, Bushman. A lot of senior um, LDS apologists are now admitting that there are clearly clear similarities between the Book of Mormon and, you know, the Mound Builder myth and the common myths that were widespread in the Americas. Um, so 
I suspect Wade Miller is in that camp where he just thinks he's still stuck in the Stone Age and he believes they're there anyway. So if we make a mistake, they're there anyway and somebody's going to find them. Um, And I think he let his guard down. Now, I think if he'd published this paper when he was an active um, academic and doing his traditional research, I think I think he would have been less inclined to publish back when he was um, had to go to conferences and be amongst his peers because um, my suspicion is that I, I wouldn't be surprised if there yeah there'd be quite a few of his peers. Quite yeah, that would that would be good peer review for him if he had done that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in in the end of this article on this on this horsebone thing, uh, he said. Uh, in scholarship as in science, uh, Hugh Nibley once observed every paradox and anomaly is really a broad hint that new knowledge is awaiting us if we will only go after it. So those who have had the patience to approach the Book of Mormon reference to horses as just such a broad hint are now enjoying new knowledge that may be on the verge of rewriting the history of the Americas. That's pretty optimistic. Mm, yeah. When he says new knowledge, now based on the based on the information, the characteristics of how they acquired their dating, not only of Kennewick man, but these mm. horse bones without the collagen and all, it it's it's not. I don't correct me if I'm wrong, if you would, uh, because I'm not near as adept in the science, but it doesn't appear to me that this would be a presentation of new knowledge so much as a, a further effort to keep hope alive because they really didn't get anywhere with these horse bones for verifying the Book of Mormon if the science doesn't bear it out that it dates in Book of Mormon times. It might just be the contaminated soil. So in a way, he appears to me anyway to be somewhat fudging to give hope. And that yeah. seems to be the nature of Mormon apologetics. Yeah. Um, you think I'm off base there? Yeah. And I think that this, what's disappointing is this has ended up in the literature um, through a, you know, a fault in, in the. This in manner. The yeah. Yeah. Just like, right. Like you point out, he dang sure didn't put any of that in his Texas article. <laughs> I no. can verify that. Yeah. And that's a good article, you guys. You can find this online for free. I printed mine off. But yeah. but it is something that you ought to at least read for yourselves instead of just reading from the Book of Mormon Central view because it's not the same picture. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, of uh, course, the bigger, the bigger problem really is that <clears throat> if you do find horses, you who was riding them? You do, yeah. We still have absolutely zero evidence of Middle East, Middle Eastern peoples in the Americas prior to Columbus. And yeah, yeah, and very little evidence of any kind of horse domestication, as you pointed out. Yeah. So I mean, it's there's not. It doesn't appear to me like there's new knowledge. Uh, that that from my from my perspective, that looks like fudging, in my opinion, but. I'm not trying to to down talk Wade Miller. He certainly knows the science better than I do, but it is somewhat disappointing, as you say. It, it didn't really advance the case at all for horses in America. In well, I guess, 
this so. probably this um i mean what no woman's going to care at all about our discussion today or whatever they've got a paper published um they're just going to refer to this and just ignore any criticism because it just supports their conclusion so it's just a, it's really quite unfortunate that it's got into a uh, into a journal um we could it write is. to the journal and heavily criticize it but i don't i don't know if people will bother um but um now I want you to keep, I want you to keep your brain cells fresh for more shows with me instead of worrying about responding to him. <laughs> yeah. uh, Debbie Joe says you can't have it both ways. You can't ignore most of the evidence and cling to a few bits. That's yeah. a good insight, Debbie Joe. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, what what really frustrates me is if you if you put yourself in the situation of a Christian that believes in God and whatever and but they don't believe that Adam and Eve is literal. But they still have a very strong faith in Jesus Christ. Um, if they come across any of these findings on American Indians, they're not bothered at all. It doesn't affect their faith. Mormonism has created this problem oh. where enormous amounts of faith are tied to the belief that American Indians must come from, have ancestors from the Middle East. Yeah. And so and, they'll skew all the evidence to that. Yeah, and so they, so somebody that is in the church and struggles with this belief, they're instantly evil. Oh, they're they're terrible. They're a bad person. But yeah. So it's actually, if you have any problem at all with this, you can there. You can go to plenty of other Christian churches around the world, and they don't care at all about um, any of the science. In fact, they greet science with excitement because it's just finding more truth. Um, yeah, so that's interesting insight. Yeah, good point. Uh, point. It's the way they they um, they smear and they tarnish the reputations of people. Um, it's just really unfortunate. And I think it would just be great if they would just move beyond. You know, like the apologists would love to. I know Patrick Mass. I can just tell when he's, you know, you've said, I saw his interview it was part of his interview with John Berlin recently. And he's just fully accepts that, yeah, there's just 19th century stuff written all through the Book of Mormon. You can see the influences all the way through it. They're just getting closer and closer and closer to the truth. And the truth is that Joseph Smith made the book up. It's invented yeah. history inspired by biblical history. Um, and the sooner, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah the community of Christ did this 30 or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. They said, yeah, we, yeah, we, we, if you want to believe the history, we, yeah, you can, but we're, we're not tying ourselves to it. And they're yeah. a much happier well, bunch of people these days. And, and this, this is actually a two-prong uh, thrust now. I just got wind a month ago, about a month ago, that uh, now Royal Skousen himself has yeah. told John Gee the facsimiles aren't inspired at all. They don't belong in the book of Abraham. Let's get rid of them. And yeah. Terrell Givens has become rather progressive along those lines that we're not, we're not technically dealing with uh, a legitimate ancient translation of an ancient Egyptian. So not only the Book of Mormon, but it's coming along now. And I know Robert Rittner played a huge part on that with John DeLynn's yeah. fabulous Mormon stories podcast, yeah. <laughs> 14 solid the same so thing's happening, happening, happening with the Book of Abraham, you know. Um, 
uh, he was a scholar at BYU that was working the Book of Maven for years, and then he retires and boom, he just uh, ditches the whole thing. So, but um, I should remember to put in a plug for a paper that uh, Thomas Murphy and I published with Angelo Bacco on on Kennewick Man and the um, the very problematic apologetics that's gone on with Kennewick Man. We published that in the. I, I saw a post on that just now. Is this the one yeah. right here? Let me post it. Was that you that put that? No, D-R-T-W Murphy. That's, that's, that's from uh, Thomas Murphy, I think. Yeah, but that's a good that, – that really goes into detail about Kennewick Man and also the, the various apologetic responses to Kennewick Man. Um, I'll, ha I'll have to get that. I was not aware of that. I will be happy to read that myself. Uh, my good friend Dan Vogel and, and Mormon historian extraordinaire says, thanks, Simon, for speaking out on this issue. I will be having him back this Sunday. We've been exploring uh, the Freemasonry and Book of Mormon angle with that new book, uh, yeah, yeah. Infinite, and uh, he's had some stellar insights. He, it's been a lot of fun to be with him, too. So, yeah, I think... Uh, Dan Vogel saying Brian Hauglid. I don't Brian know. Brian he's yeah, he's he's um I think he uh I mean I, I think his close friends knew that he had uh yeah he didn't believe it was historical we didn't believe it was true prior to his retirement. But when you're retired you're pension safe and I think it was about five days later he uh yeah he and and I, I, would, I mean I would do the same thing. If you're working in an institution, they're just going to sack you and you're going to lose your pension uh, for speaking the truth. Um, yeah, you'd have to be foolish to... to um, yeah, to well, and then notice once he once he actually came out and said, well, I, I, I really don't believe it's literal like that, then he was immediately attacked, and he's still yeah. attacked. <laughs> yeah, so, well, because they're all, they've got their snout in the trough. They're all... Their pensions are reliant on them uh, defending this the indefensible, and they just keep going. So yeah, yeah. Well, Doctor Simon Southerton, thank you so much for being on my show. Uh, thanks for all your good questions to my audience. I uh, appreciate all of you showing up and enjoying yourselves and asking good questions. Uh, we've had a great opportunity here to learn directly from a scientist on so many interesting archaeological and radiometric dating and carbon dating and also this is fun we will be doing this again i suspect and probably not in a long time we'll do this again and uh, don't forget sunday evening this time with dan vogel that i will have him on six o'clock mountain time and don't forget the oh hold it now i get to promote myself here we go don't forget the uh, backyardprofessor.org. Uh, I do have new podcasts up for your listening pleasures. And if you would mind hitting the donate button, um, a dollar a month, a dollar a week, whatever um, is always greatly appreciated. And I do appreciate your support. So in the meantime, remember, have fun, do well, be good, make friends, be happy. We're progressing in our knowledge and uh, we're learning how to think. And I'm hoping that we've learned a little bit about this with Dr. Simon Southerton, who is willing to ask the questions. And yet he's willing to do the research to get those questions answered. That is how to think. So I will see you guys on Sunday night. Well, Sunday morning. I'll be here Sunday morning, too, for the Sunday school 
issue. So in the meantime, see you next time. And I love y'all. And we're going to run now. <laughs>